Welcome everyone to Andy Here's the 80s, the show where we try to find the absolute best albums from the 1980s. Here in season two, we examine the work of a new artist or band each episode. This week, it is the one and only Luther Vandross. Joining me as always is my co-host Aaron Keck. How are you, Aaron? Hello. I'm good. How are you? Doing well. You know, every album that we kind of hear for this show, say for the very first episode, is one that I obviously haven't heard prior to the podcast. And so I feel like, uh, you know, Luther Vandross is kind of one of those perfect artists where I know who he was, but I didn't really know what, you know, I, I couldn't really tell you what his songs were, maybe say for one or two, you know. I I was listening to these albums and I was waiting, waiting, waiting to hear what to me is the Luther Vandross song, which I know is an 80s song, which is Here and Now. Uh, that doesn't come out until 89 on a compilation album. So that's mm-hmm. that's the one song that I think of as being the like quintessential Luther Vandross song. And I didn't get it in any of these six albums. But he, yeah, he was he was quite prolific in the eighties. Yeah, definitely. There's six albums we're gonna hear this week uh, for Luther Vandross, and yeah, I mean, it's funny, you know, some of the he kind of exemplifies some of the themes that have sort of emerged this season. Uh, one, chasing uh, the kind of sound of the decade. You know, they start to sound a little more eighties as it goes on, and also chasing a bigger audience which is a, on a different scale for Luther because all of these albums still went platinum. So he, he still sold fine right. and he had successful tours, but <laughs> he was still always chasing something bigger, which I think a lot of the artists we hear this, this season are. Yeah. And the one thing that I will say about Luther Vandross, and I was, I was a little bit surprised when you said, okay, we're going to be covering Luther Vandross in this episode and having listened to the six albums, I'm going to stick with my original reaction, which is I don't know if he evolved all that much over the 80s. Like the last couple of episodes that we've done, we've looked at artists who definitely had a distinctive sound, but they also transformed themselves quite a bit between 1980 and 1989 and luther vandross i'm not so sure like the album uh, the songs that we'll hear on his first album i don't think most of them would be out of place on his sixth album and i think with some uh, some previous artists that we've done they would have been really noticeably out of place but vandross didn't really change too much at least that was my take i don't know if it's yours yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, you know, to me, his his sound kind of occupies a space in between Marvin Gaye and Michael Jackson. Uh, you know, it's something that kind of bridges the gap between like 70s soul and pop radio. And it yes. kind of, it does kind of shape, you know, what uh, kind of what modern R&B would become from this point forward. But you're right that he kind of, he finds a sound early and kind of sticks with it. You know, the production might change here and there, but it's not there's not a drastic difference from song one to, or, you know, from album one to album six, like there is for some of yeah. these other artists. Marvin Gaye is a good comparison. I also had Barry White in my head as mm-hmm. uh, as a comparison. Obviously not the same voice. Barry White and Luther Vandross are both very distinctive in their own way, but yeah. along the same lines of, of uh, very influential R&B love songs, like love, 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 love songs. I think we're going to... We're going to go down our, our top five songs at the end of this episode. And I am very proud that only three of my top five songs include the word love in it, which I think is, 
That's sixty percent. That's about the that's about the typical for for Luther Vandross. Yeah, I think I know. I'll have to, I think yes, three of mine have love in it too. So right, right. So we'll see if it's the same three or not. But uh, yeah, I know it's funny. I, I, I would say at least twenty five, thirty percent of the songs that he's made have the word love in it for sure. Yeah. And the other 70 to 75% don't only because they were conscious about that when they were titling the songs, I think. Yeah, exactly. They probably had working titles that had love. Luther, this, these can't all be love, love, love songs. Like, why not? Like, it's, it's going to be <laughs> redundant. It's going to sound redundant. This is what people signed up for when they bought yeah. a Luther Vandross album. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, and that audience would keep showing up. I mean, they, like I said, he sold a million copies every time. So they, they knew what they were getting, for sure. Yeah. Uh, but I did read another uh, biography this week, uh, Luther, The Life and Longing of Luther Vandross by Craig Seymour, uh, which is a great look at his entire life, offers a ton of insight and information about Luther. If you're listening to this and want to learn more, I definitely recommend that book. It was very good. Uh, but let's get started. I mean, at the very beginning, of course, he was born April 20th, 1951. Uh, Mary Ida Vandross gave birth to Luther Ronzoni Vandross in New York City. Luther's first name Ronzoni? came from his father. That's right. Ronzoni. No, you got to tell me about. I don't care what his first name came from. You got to tell me about Ronzoni. <laughs> well, Ronzoni, of course, was the brand of pasta that Mary Ida was craving while pregnant with Luther. And so that's where he got his middle name. <laughs> I was expecting it to be the magician that she had seen the the night he <laughs> yeah, was exactly. conceived. The great Ronzoni that definitely would be a magician <laughs> name. Uh, but it would be a little ironic that he'd be named. His middle name would come from food, considering he would have struggles with that throughout his career. But uh, I'm getting a little ahead of myself. He grew up with uh, three siblings in New York, primarily. Uh, Luther was spend all of his allowance on records, the Supremes, Aretha Franklin, The Temptations. Uh, music was basically all that he cared about as a child and as an adult, really, too. Uh, but his father would die of diabetes when Luther was only eight, leaving Mary Ida to raise him and his siblings alone. Uh, when he was in high school, he began frequenting the theaters around the city, taking in as many shows as he could. And at 13, he saw a show at Brooklyn's Fox Theater that basically made him decide then and there that he wanted to be a singer. It was a performance by a then-unknown Dionne Warwick. Mm. Uh, he would begin performing any chance he could. I uh, did a lot of, sh of uh, appearances at the Amateur Night at the Apollo. He eventually caught the eye of a director who would be forming a vocal group called Listen, My Brother, uh, that Luther performed in. And the group even appeared in several episodes of this new children's television show that was premiering the same time, a little program called Sesame Street. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, Luther then would attend uh, Western Michigan University for a year, which he chose just to get away from New York and see life uh, somewhere else for a little bit, but would end up returning after that first year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Not, not far off from you, I don't think, right? Yeah. Uh, about an hour away, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but uh, he would reunite with some of his high school friends who were now became part of the house band of the Apollo when he got home and started working on his own songs, slowly performing them any chance he got. Uh, got uh, noticed by a singer named Dolores Hall, who he wrote a couple songs for, including a duet that she would record with him. And then even a uh, Broadway producer named Ken Harper, who was putting together a new version of The Wizard of Oz, which Luther would contribute a song to, which appeared towards the end of the show, called A Brand New Day. And that would, of course, be The Wiz. Nice. Uh, in 1974, some of the members of the Apollo House Band were then chosen by a young English musician looking to capture an American soul sound for his ninth album. 
the Apollo guitar player Carlos Alomar invited Luther down to the studio in Philadelphia to hear some of the songs they were putting together. And Luther, you know, was taking it in. He thought he could maybe help out a little bit, so he started filling in just some background vocals that he thought would really fill out the song and not realizing that in the other room listening to all this was David Bowie himself who had hired this band to uh, work on his new album. And so he basically hired Luther on the spot to then arrange all of the background vocals for the album. They even ended up sharing a writing credit for the song Fascination. And so, yeah, right then and there, Luther is already putting songs together for the album Young Americans. So this, I mean, at this point, yeah, his childhood, it basically is like Forrest Gump all of a sudden. Like Luther Vandross just popping up (laughs) in all of these like crazy events. Well, I, I appreciate, I appreciate this because it's a really, I mean, this is the, this is the accurate version of the, of the American success story. Like this is someone who just naturally has an incredible amount of talent and just puts himself in places and just lucks out in a number of cases but also just works extremely hard and just combines those three factors and over the course of 20 years he gets to the point where he can start releasing solo albums i think it's a really cool story yeah it's great i mean he he grew up loving music and that's all he cared about and that's all he did and it paid off i mean he he worked hard and, and just focused on what he cared about and it took him places i mean I think the only, the only thing that would have made it more Forrest Gump is if he attended Kent State that year instead of Western Michigan. That'd right, right, been. yeah. But yeah, after You had this, to make uh, it dark, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it, 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 it like was that same year, I think, that he even right, went to that right. one year of college. So it's like, yeah. it, almost, it almost could have been. Uh, but, you know, Bowie was, he knew the talent that he had immediately. And so this is kind of the first sign where Luther knew that he actually could make a living doing this and, and make a good living. Uh, Bowie took him on tour after the album came out. He performed as a background singer for that whole tour. And uh, Bowie even made him open a couple shows to try and like build, help build up his confidence, uh, especially because at this point he was still like over 300 pounds. Uh, but he never indulged in any other vices at that point. Food was was his vice really you know mm-hmm. uh and his weight would ebb and flow throughout his career but he was a workaholic and a perfectionist and over the next five years after that tour he would continue to hone his craft write songs write for people he wrote jingles to pay the bills uh, he was working every angle he could until finally uh, he did perform with a group called luther that he put together with some of his friends from the apollo uh, they would release two albums before their label dropped him and then he finally got re-signed to Epic Records as a solo artist and would put together his first album, Never Too Much, uh, which would come out in August of 81. Uh, that album, of course, was kind of promoted with a uh, cover of one of his idols growing up, Dion Warwick, with A House Is Not A Home. So I'm going to play a little bit of that and then we'll come back and talk about the album. A chair is still a chair Even when there's no one sitting there 
This song is one of the probably just one or two songs that if you pushed me before this, I would have named as a Luther Vandross song. I think this was one that I recognized and oh, recognized as his first rather, you know, I didn't even realize it was a cover necessarily. Yeah, I didn't really know. I, I, I don't think I knew any of the songs off of this album when we started this, which is interesting because when I was growing up, I grew up in the 80s and... When I was growing up, really the only music that I encountered really until I got to high school was the music that the various members of my family would listen to as I was in the car driving with them. Mm -hmm. uh, my grandparents listened to country music, so I got that. My dad would listen to the oldies station, so I got the 50s and 60s. My mom would listen to Light Rock, Light Rock 99, WFMK, and Lansing, and it was a very Vandross-heavy station, uh -huh. uh, especially, like, later 80s. Uh, so the fact that I was not aware of, like, Never Too Much, which is the, the, the hit off of this album, mm -hmm. uh, it was the, the first time that I heard it was actually listening to the album for this particular podcast, which kind of surprised me. But I, I, don't, think I, I don't think I encountered any of the songs off of this album before, before this. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of why I had to do him in this show, because I was like, he is yeah. one of those names you recognize, but you don't, I, I, neither one of us could name any songs necessarily. So I, yeah. had, I had to dig in further. But yeah, I love House Is Not A Home, I think is fantastic. It, it is one of those covers to me that becomes the de facto version, you know, like yes. All Along the Watchtower or Respect or Tainted Love or something like that. I think he makes it his right, own. Right, right. And it's can a we great talk about the too. can we talk about the cover of the album because this is the most uh -huh. ridiculous looking picture of Luther Vandross. <laughs> well, yeah, and, I mean, this guy this guy put out 170 bajillion albums, and every one of those albums has a very classy, sometimes kind of stereotypical 80s cover. And I'm going to mm -hmm. point out, give me the reason with like the yellow shirt and the the <laughs> yep. the drapes in the background. That's a very 80s cover, but it's a good looking 80s cover. And every other cover is just a very classy picture of. Of Luther Vandross, except this one album, which is him with just this goofy smile on his face, like clutching the lapels of his jacket as if to say, I don't even know what. <laughs> I know. I, I think it's a great picture, <laughs> but it is definitely it's a, it's like, a funny picture. I'll yeah, give it that. It, it is true. Like the other albums are kind of more like they're pro almost portraits, right? Of, of Luther. Yes. And you, you can tell where he is you know weight wise based on how much of him appears on the cover so i think right. never too much was sort of like you see you know it's it's a little bit more than a bust so you see he's uh down to what you know probably under two at this point he's showing it off he wants to get the jacket mm -hmm. off and let the uh that sparkly tie <laughs> fly free and what jacket is that like it's not a suit coat like what even is that jacket that he's wearing it's like leather but it's a strange leather jacket. I'll give you that. It's it not... is a strange leather jacket with like just a with a corporate shirt and tie underneath. Yeah, but uh, you know, I think it's the it's not the shoulder pads which are part of it. <laughs> True. But the uh, like the cuffs, 
you know, it almost looks, you know, it's the kind of cuff that, you know, it's like an elastic cuff. It needs yeah. to be, you know, have a proper button or something on it, I think. For... Like it, it, the cuffs want to be wrist watches, but they're just not. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, the music. Anyway, it's, it is anyway, it's about yeah. the music. Let's it's, it's really about the music with this album. I do love the, the Never Too Much song. I think that one is a great song. It is a good one. Yeah. And about six minutes into House is Not a Home is when I realized why I had probably heard it the first time. And that's because it's the main sample for Kanye West's Slow Jam song. Mm-hmm. which you could probably do a whole season of this show just on the artist he names in that song. But... <laughs> So after Never Too Much, he uh, was nominated for Best New Artist Grammy, but ended up losing to Sheena Easton. He then put together his next, uh, or actually he produced the next album of one of his idols, Aretha Franklin. He was able to be the producer for her next album, Jump To It, which was released in 82 and became a critical and commercial success, which was kind of revitalizing for her because she hadn't had a big hit in a while. Uh, But he took this momentum straight into his second album, uh, Forever For Always For Love. So let's hear the opening track of that, which is Bad Boy slash Having a Party, and then we'll dig into the album. So this one, you know, I mentioned Marvin Gaye earlier. The beginning of this immediately reminds me of the beginning of what's going on, that kind of party yeah. chatter in the studio. But 
Yeah. I think uh, the difference then, of course, being like, I mean, Marvin, what's going on is a very political album. And this, uh, I mean, Luther Vandross, almost to a fault, never made any political songs or comments or anything. I, I think he's, like we said earlier, he's made a love songs and he's stuck to that the whole time. Yeah. And this also brings up the uh, another another great artist, uh, another great R and B vocalist that we haven't mentioned yet. We mentioned Marvin Marvin Gaye. You said Michael Jackson. I said Barry White. Sam Cooke, who is the mm-hmm. uh, is the originator of having a party, which is a, a great original song, and then Vandross covers it really well. Uh, but there's another just great soulful singer with just the smoothest of voices and you don't really necessarily get the direct Sam Cooke influence in Mm -hmm. Luther's music generally but in this one you clearly do because it's his song yeah this was this was kind of the debut of something he would do a few times which is like a kind of a cover medley he took this song and in this case mixed it with one of his own but there's a few times on the different albums where he would have kind of these medleys of different covers and kind of twisting it into its own new thing which, which I think always work well. Yeah, he was really good about picking covers. I was, I was a little bit surprised to see like every single album was mostly originals with one cover. And, and you said it like oftentimes a medley of covers and they just fit so perfectly into mm-hmm. each of the album. One of my not this is a great uh, this is a great cover medley here. And this actually is one of my favorite songs off of this particular album, but I think it's the next album where we'll get to Superstar, which ends the album, mm-hmm. um, which is just a fantastic medley that I was not expecting to like because it's also nine minutes long, but <laughs> right. you know, you start getting into it and he just sucks you in. It's great. Yeah, he definitely, like you said, he knew how to pick them. He, he would take mm-hmm. a song that wasn't, uh, that was not one that he wrote, but made it feel right at home amongst all his other songs. So yeah, he yep. definitely could arrange an album uh, very well. And I think this one. The one thing I like that this I'm. One, oh, yeah, go ahead. Oh, now the one thing that I that I start to pick up, uh, I really, I, I kind of started to pick this up in the first album, uh, but really, like this album solidified it for me. That for the most part, the Luther Vandross songs that I like the most are the love songs where there's actually not a connection between him and his woman and he's he's longing for a love that isn't happening or is lamenting or remembering uh, a love that was and is no longer the one that got away like it's those kind of unrequited we're not together now but i wish we were kind of songs that really stand out to me the most as opposed to the many many love songs that he has about yep i'm here you're here we're having a good time everything is great we're in love this is spectacular like those don't speak to me as much as the the unrequited like i wish it were somewhere i wish it were some way other than it is right yeah even though you know he does even though he is writing only love songs he finds ways to put new spins on them, at least, you know, it is not just like, oh, I'm in love there. It's all the the whole love story, really. Right. Yeah. Having love, this not a, having love. Yeah. This also gets back to I got married a couple of years ago. And when we were we were trying to figure out the playlist for the the wedding reception and mm-hmm. there are just a hell of a lot of 
quote-unquote love songs where they're not together in the song. Like, I, I'm i in love with you, but you're not in love with me, or you're in love with me, but I'm not in love with you, or it's a breakup song, or it's a we've broken up so- song, or I wish we were going outside. There's a lot of great songs around love, and there aren't yeah. that many great love songs. And I don't know if it's just there's something about the emotion of being in love and being loved back that just lends itself to crap songs and just the <laughs> the better songs are the ones around where you're not quite there yet but i feel that way about luther vandross like as as many great love songs as he's done like my favorites of his are are just they're not love songs they're songs about wanting love and not actually mm-hmm. having it yeah that's true uh, and i think uh, that's those are the ones I think that almost resonate the most because that seems to be some of the most honest ones that he, that he made. Yes. Right? Uh, yeah. Cause you know, he was always very, you know, he kept his personal life close to the vest. So I, mean, I was we don't going to say, yeah, but you know, you never, I mean, we never got the idea that he was ever in a relationship for very long, if ever. I mean, cause it was so tight lipped about it. Right. So yeah, the, the longing, it comes across, I think, the most genuine of his performances. Yeah. And then I uh, think, uh, I think later when, when like details about his sexuality come out, then mm-hmm. like now we go back to the the songs that he wrote, especially these early albums about, oh, you're my woman and I'm in love with you. Like, there's just something about these songs that just doesn't <laughs> ring true for me, and I can't imagine why. Right? Yeah, exactly. Couldn't put my finger on it at the time, but uh... yeah. Uh, well, now after this album, he became fortunate enough to produce another of his heroes, Dionne Warwick herself. Uh, she put together another album with him as the producer, but uh, it was not as successful as the Aretha album, unfortunately. Uh, but he got another chance to then produce Aretha after that. But at this point in his career, he's becoming such a perfectionist that they basically were at each other's throats during this production. <laughs> and the project almost got scrapped because they were so contentious. But... Mm. They were able to put it aside long enough to release it, but not before uh, his third studio album would come out, uh, Busybody. So let's hear a little bit of the first track, I Wanted Your Love, and then we'll dig into that album as well.
this of the six albums is not necessarily my favorite. It's not my least favorite. When we rank mm-hmm. our albums, this one's going to be in the middle. But this is the one album of the six that really sounds and feels different to me because I think this is the one album, and maybe it's just the, the that initial hit of I Wanted Your Love, like that that opening track. Like This is the one where they really got into the studio and the like the 80s drum mm-hmm. synthesizer and really really tried to to amp up kind of the the dance clubness of his music as opposed to the other albums which are more this had this has more drums this has more uh 80s uh drum machine and the other albums are more kind of strings i think yeah definitely you can de- the 80s production is definitely starting to creep in yes. uh, to this one uh but Fortunately, I don't think it overtakes it too much. And this song in particular, too, has that, you know, the lyrics are like what we were just talking about. I mean, he performs a show and comes off stage and there's nobody to share that feeling. Yep. With. So, I mean, it's another one of his love lost or, you know, missing love songs. Yeah. That I think still comes across those. The genuine feeling in the lyric kind of overcomes the 80s production a little bit for me, fortunately. Uh, the other uh, I'll Let You Slide is another one that uh, has a is a great sounding song to me that that I think overcomes what could have been two eighties of, of a song. Yeah. I like, I'll let you slide. I, I like, I wanted your love. My two favorites, I think off of this album are the last two. I already mentioned superstar, which is mm-hmm. a, a great song to end the album, but uh, the duet with Diane, uh, Dionne Warwick, uh, how many yeah. times can we say goodbye, which is another spectacular song also coming right at the end of the album. Yeah, it's a strong finish to the album for sure. Especially because those are those become production-wise more more traditional ballad style sounds than uh, than some of the synth and drum, drum machine that that starts the album, right? Yeah, for sure. This is another album where I want to talk about the cover because this is another very <laughs> '80s. Yeah, for this, sure. This cover is very like someone watched the Aha Take on Me video and just decided to. And then and then called up Peter Gabriel and said, "Let's make an album cover." Mm-hmm. Like you've got a random you've got a random flower in the background on this like midnight blue skyline, and a woman's hands holding up her little black book with a picture of Luther, and she's like very pointedly pointing at his name. <laughs> yeah. The phone is off the hook, so I don't know if she is about to call. She's one of those people who picks the phone up and then just like drops it on the table and then gets out the phone number. I don't know what she's <laughs> thinking here. I know. I love the the hand pointing. It's such like a classic insert yeah. shot of like, okay, now point to the number. <laughs> okay, yep, we got it. <laughs> See, I know Luther Vandross. His name is in my book. Yeah, and there's a it's a great like a uh, yellow to pink gradient on his name and the title. Yeah, it's, yeah. The 80s production. Oh, that, yeah, that's crept very into more than the like oh, yeah. Tequila Sunrise, Miami <laughs> yeah. Vicey. Yeah, I didn't even notice that. Yes, definitely. Even before you hear it, you're like, oh, yeah, this came out in the 80s for sure. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, but uh, so after this one, I mean, maybe Luther is feeling it too because he did want to try a different approach for the next album. So he, he packed up the band and took them out to Air Studio on the island of Montserrat where he would hope for maybe a different sound. You know, it's uh, an island setting is different than the city. It maybe help everybody relax, focus on the music. And that is what uh, what he was thinking going into this fourth album, 
uh, The Night I Fell in Love, which would be released in March of 85. I'll play a little bit of the song Wait for Love, and then we'll come back to discuss that album. can say for certain that it's true there's a chance for me and you I surely feel like the time is near the picture in my mind is very clear I think love has brought us here I remember not too long ago I was just a lonely person with a lonely heart. Yeah. And I was hoping there could one day be, be a chance. I think this one is a good example. Like, I mean, on all of these albums, there's still one or two songs that I think knock it out of the park. And this one, for me, was like one of those ballads that I kept humming in my head afterwards. Yeah. The one that stood out for me was If Only For One Night. That's going to make my top five. Um, mm. there's, a lot of, there's a lot of good stuff on this album. This is the album that has the strongest... Like sustained reputation. This is the one that makes the the top 100 lists for the most part. Okay, I think uh, the one that I've I've seen recognized a little bit more, although not my favorite album. Uh, but this is the mm-hmm. one that that I think has a tendency to stand out. I think this is the one that that sold the most. Uh, that sold the most of the six that we're looking at, if I'm remembering right. Possibly, um, although, like I said, they all sold over a million, so I don't know. They all sold uh, quite a bit, yeah. I think yeah. this one, this one sold close to two million, and mm-hmm. like it's a very, it's a very good album. It's very classy. Again, talking about the covers, this is a classy album. Now he's got an actual <laughs> yeah. suit coat with his corporate shirt and tie, yeah, like definitely. the nice kind of uh, sepia tone on the on the cover. Still, still very eighties in terms of the, the font on the, the name and the, the album title, but not quite as eighties as the last one. And just so many good, good love songs on this one. Mm-hmm. Like very, very classy, very well done all the way through. Yeah. Do you think that the, the Island setting uh, paid off? <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. I know. It's hard to say. I think it's it's a little more subdued, maybe. I think there's a it's a little bit lower key, certainly than Busybody, but I think yeah. Uh, it's yeah, it's a little bit more low key, a little down tempo. Uh, it has another great uh, cover, "Creepin'," a Stevie Wonder song, fits perfectly on this album. Yes. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, yeah. At this point, he really is just he's very consistent. I feel like. There, there's a reason each one keeps selling the same amount basically because he's giving exactly what you expect, I think. And good versions of it still. Yeah. Uh, but so at this point after that album comes out, uh, he performed at a benefit at the Apollo 
which would be a fun kind of reunion uh, from where he started and which which brought down the house. Uh, but at the end of 85, however, uh, rumor would be reported that Luther had contracted AIDS, which was not true, but understandably bothered him. And then his up mm. and down weight loss, his, his closely guarded personal life. I mean, this was all ripe for rumor spreading at that point. Uh, so he moves out to L.A., try and start fresh. Uh, in early 86, he begins producing a young Star Search contestant uh, named Jimmy Salvamini. Uh, mm. Unfortunately, however, while Luther was driving Jimmy and his brother Larry around L.A., they get into a car accident that sends all three of them to the hospital and unfortunately ends the life of Larry. Uh, Luther had become very close to the family at that point. He was devastated by what happened, and the family was initially supportive of Luther but would eventually file and settle a wrongful death suit against him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Jimmy Jimmy's album would still come out later that year, but Luther would then release his next album, September of 86, dedicated to Larry Salvamini, and that album is Give Me the Reason. Uh, so let's hear a little bit more of Luther, and we'll play... Uh, the title track from Give Me the Reason. So th- this is the point where he wants he's really trying to break through at this point. I, mm-hmm. He wants um he wants a top 10 record on the mainstream charts, right? I mean, he's sold well with his same audience, but he's still trying to break into that next level, I feel like. And I think this is where it gets a little too glossy in the production. You know, it's kind of nitpicking, but I think this is where the all the way through it was still a little too slick 80s sounding to me. I, I can see that. Uh, this is he he does manage to succeed to a degree, I think, because this is the first uh, this is the first album that had a song on it that I remembered from driving around in the car with my mom listening to the light rock station. and it's the uh-huh. opening track, Stop to Love, which I had completely forgotten about until. It came on, and I get about 30 seconds into it and 45 seconds, and then eventually the chorus kicks in. It's like, I remember this song. I remember driving around listening to this song. <laughs> I'd completely forgotten about this. This is great. Yeah. 
and it didn't make my top five. But you know, it's, it's <laughs> right. still a good memory. It was trapped in the corner of your brain somewhere that it and it got unlocked. somewhere. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how many other songs I I listened to a hundred times on that light rock station that are just completely gone from my memory now, but just lurking back there somewhere, just waiting to be found again. Yeah, <laughs> waiting for just to walk down the right aisle of the supermarket for it to be playing. <laughs> and then... That is one soulful supermarket I'm shopping in. <laughs> yeah. I could be so lucky. But, right. Uh, there's some decent songs on here still, I think. Uh, but uh, my, my standout for me, I think, is uh, Because It's Really Love, the second to last one. I think that mm. I, I think Luther can always just do a solid ballad, and it is great to me. And I think those are the least susceptible to 80s, like the 80s yeah. sheen. The one that stands out for me is the duet with Gregory Hines, There's Nothing Better Than Love, which I think opens the side, side B two. of the album mm-hmm. if you're yeah, if you're if you're listening to the vinyl. Um that to me is just a it's a great song. It's uh it's it's not a, an unrequited love song, but it's not the the sappy oh we're in love and we love each other kind of song, but uh, Luther Vandross and Gregory Hines like work so well together in that song. I like it's it's far and away one of my favorites of all of the the songs off of these six particular albums. Like Luther Vandross to me is more of an artist that I associate with the '90s than the '80s because I do know a lot of Luther Vandross songs, but all of the ones that I know and recognize and associate with him beginning with here and now and then going up through dance of my father in the early 2000s like that's the era that i I, that i know luther vandross songs from these are all these are all kind of proto this is all kind of proto vandross for me so Mm -hmm. uh, my favorite ones aren't on any of these albums but this particular one with gregory hines really stands out yeah yeah that i think he does a good job of course picking you know duets as well as you know just like he does a great job being covers he always has good duets i think on all these also Uh, and he does so many great duets with with great artists too like Dionne warwick uh uh, he's got a patty labelle one doesn't he too Um, i think so yeah yeah, somewhere somewhere in there uh who is another artist that he that he loved and Mm -hmm. uh isn't he like the president of the Patti LaBelle fan club in yes. when he was in, in school? Yeah, that's a that's another fun detail. But he got yeah. to he got to work with all of these fantastic artists, and he really picked the great ones to work with. Mm-hmm. I, I was surprised because uh, I mean I know Gregory Hines mainly as a dancer, right? I didn't really yes. even know that he was a singer. But. Yeah, yeah. And I know that he sang, but didn't necessarily, yeah, like he's he's primarily a dancer for me too, but he's got a fantastic voice. Mm-hmm. I think he also made an appearance on Sesame Street, which is probably where I first saw him. Probably at some point, right? I mean, the show's been going for 50 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he had to have at some point. We've all made appearances on Sesame Street somewhere <laughs> yeah. along the line. Somewhere along the line. <laughs> uh but the so the summer of eighty seven, uh, after a show at Madison Square Garden, uh, Luther's drummer Yogi Horton would uh, jump out of his seventeenth story apartment, uh, killing himself. And the speculation around that revolved around Luther's increasingly demanding demeanor during these tours. So I mean, it's a, he wasn't just pissing off Aretha Franklin. I mean, he's pissing off everybody that he worked with sometimes. Mm. But I mean, you you grow up idolizing these divas, and they kind of became king diva in the process. But 
you know, you can't, uh, he was still, of course, devastated by this and it wouldn't, uh, it affected him still, even though you can't necessarily tell from the music. But you see, even then, it just, he just dug in deeper. He went still trying to chase that uh, Grammy win that he, he hasn't gotten yet. Uh, Give Me the Reason was nominated for two Grammys, but didn't win. Uh, and then he goes back in the studio and his, this is where his, his relapse into uh, stress eating kind of comes back to. This is where, possibly where the Luther Burger was born, which uh, I, re- I did confirm in an article earlier today with en- Entertainment Weekly. He confirmed in an interview that he did. <laughs> they asked him what the craziest thing he's ever eaten was, and he did say a burger made with a donut bun. Yep. So that is... Uh, which, by the way, if that, a, if that's the craziest thing you've ever eaten, then you've had a pretty, then you've had a pretty stay at life. B, uh, that's a good combination. Like, I, I, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I've ever actually... I don't know if I've been to the state fair often enough to have consumed a Luther burger, but I can get behind that concept. Like a burger yeah, with I mean, donut buns. Like, I, I can totally see that. You got the, uh, you've got the sweet, you've got the meat. That's, that's perfect. Yeah, there's a reason why 30 years later people are still talking about it, right? Yeah. My first encounter with the Luther Burger was actually the Boondocks episode about it. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think mine is the same. The itis, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it uh, I, I wonder. I bet that was there was like a it probably spiked in the maybe late eighties, early nineties, dipped for a while. Then that episode aired in two thousand something, right? And then and all now of a sudden, it's everybody's back. talking yeah. about it again. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, but yeah, he's still determined to break through, and he wasted no time getting right back in the studio for another album. So in September of 88, he releases Any Love, his sixth album and final one we'll talk about this week. Uh, let's hear the title track, and then we'll discuss the album. I speak to myself sometimes, and I say, oh my. In a lot of ways, you're a lucky guy. And oh, now all you need is a chance to try any This one, just like the last one, it's still a little 80s-ish. It's a little dated sounding, but again, Any Love, I think, is a great ballad still that stands out for me. 
Yeah, for sure. That is that is my favorite song off of this album. Um, yeah, I don't I don't have negative things to say about this album. I was I was I started to get into it and the the first couple of songs I'm like oh, I'm not so sure because the the last couple of of uh, of artists that we've looked at their their last album is either far and away their best or far and away their worst like either they've evolved their sound successfully over the decade and then by the time they get to their last album they've achieved the culmination and this is their sound and it's the it's the perfect encapsulation of who they are and who they've always aspired to be or they have already peaked and they've lost the will to do anything of substance and they've already moved on to their late stage we're not really doing anything good anymore and they're just producing crap at the end of the decade and when i first started this album i was thinking this was going to be i was was thinking this was going to be a crap album and then it <laughs> grew on me very quickly and again it's not my favorite but it's a it's a very good very solid album and any love is one of my favorite songs of all of the six albums that we've looked at mm-hmm and it's another one too, just like I wanted your love, right? Where he's this feels like the genuine Luther. Like mm-hmm. I have, I'm singing about love all day, every day, and I don't have any of my own. So yep. that's it. Feels honest and and intimate in a way that you don't always get from him. Yeah, he does manage to get five songs into this album before he has a song with the word love in the title, which I think is a record for him. Yeah, that's true. And then and then goes three in a row after that. And like they get was, four in a row, I think. Yeah, you're uh, uh, yeah. Any love for you to love, love won't let me wait, and then she won't talk to me. Okay. So three in a row, yeah. But but still, gotcha. he was holding back, and then he just let it loose. <laughs> but yeah, I think, you know, this is another one. Like I you know, like you mentioned, the last one is generally either they're far and away the best, far away the worst. I feel like all of these, Luther doesn't go far and away in any direction. I feel like these are all pretty consistent. Yes. Yeah. I have a hard time ranking these albums. I know what my number six is. Uh, I have an idea of what my number one is, but they're all very close to each other. I think he's he's just very consistent over the course of the decade, and very consistent in general. Like he's gonna he's gonna go on into the '90s. He's gonna really hit that mainstream success. He'll get that Grammy award with Here and Now, which is still my number one Luther Vandross song. Mm-hmm. He'll get a bunch more. Uh, but he's going to continue to be just a consistently solid artist for another decade and a half, too. Yeah. Yeah. After this album, he goes on tour with Anita Baker, who he would feud with the entire time. And then just as the <laughs> 80s come to a close. But another like, great he, artist, though. Yeah, another great artist, but that he could not get along with uh, in, this, in in person. But uh, he would record, like you said, Here and Now. It would go on his greatest hits compilation to end the 80s. And putting it on there would be prescient because it did finally become his first top 10 hit on the billboard hot 100 mm. and his first Grammy win. Uh, so yeah, into the nineties, he'd continue to be pretty successful. He would unfortunately lose uh, his siblings to various health issues. And then in 2003 on the precipice of the release of his 14th album, he would suffer a stroke that would put him in a coma for two months. And as he awoke though, he, while he began extensive rehabilitation that album, Dance With My Father, becomes his first number one album in his career. And it also won the Grammy for Song of the Year, which his mother accepted mm-hmm. for him on his behalf. And then Luther Ronzoni Vandross passed away of a heart attack July 1st, 2005, leaving behind the incredible legacy of music that we hear now. 
There's a lot of sadness in his story, but it it is also a success story as well. Yeah, that's true. He he has the whole spectrum, the whole experience. I think for better. I do want to go back. I do want to go back a second to something that you said way up at the very top of the show. Ronzoni mm-hmm. actually was the pasta. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought you were joking, and then I was I was Google searching while we were talking, and it's like, oh no, this is this is actually the real reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was. And they they called him. Well, Ronnie forget everything I said about the amazing Ronzoni the magician. That's that's just a <laughs> that's just a great middle name. Well, he was forced to retire when when Luther rose to prominence, but of course he yeah. never performed again. The not quite as amazing as Luther Vandross Ronzoni. <laughs> yeah, the adequate Ronzoni. It's hard to compete. <laughs> it is. But speaking of competition, let's get to our one of my favorite parts of the show is now uh, our top five songs uh, from the catalog. So let's let's run down your what top five did you land on for Luther Vandross? All right. Uh, I tried to avoid covers and that actually helped me make a couple of decisions. But I got to throw one in there. Number five is Superstar. In spite of the length, or possibly because of it, it it really grows on me. And I appreciate the fact that it it grew on me, and it it, it got me as much as it did because it then gets put on pretty much every single greatest hits compilation that comes out afterwards. There really is something about that particular cover that mm-hmm. stands out. Number four is "Any Love" off of uh, the the album of the same title. Uh, number three, another title track, but one that we didn't really talk about, uh, Forever For Always For Love, okay, uh, yeah. which is another, like, we used to be together, but we're not anymore, and oh, I wish I had another chance. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two is another one of those songs, If Only For One Night. Okay. Uh, and then my, and that one, what album is that off? That's the one off The Night I Fell In Love. Uh, and right. then my number one song is off of Give Me the Reason, uh, There's Nothing Better Than Love with Gregory Hines. And the only album that is not included in that top five is the first album, Never Too Much. Uh, I really like the title track off of that album. That came in number six for me, but Superstar was better. All right. Yeah, those those are good. There's a little overlap here. Uh, Okay, good. Yeah, for my five, I went with uh, 
better love from forever for always for love uh, okay that was one that yeah that i kept getting stuck in my head and i think it it does have you know it's kind of like a competing love song right like you're in love with somebody now but don't you want the better love so yes finding yeah. new ways to kind of twist it and it, and it really worked for me i can't go on since you four was also any love from any love cool uh, number three for me was never too much from never too much i think that that's was a, a great, great song line. yeah yeah it, perfect opening track i think it perfectly sets the stage for this is uh, it's a statement song right i'm luther vandress this is my first album finally here i am Two, I go wait for love from the night I fell in love. And then my number one is House is Not a Home from uh, Never Too Much. Okay. I also did try to avoid covers, but that one to me was just so good. And That's a good one. You like Never Too Much more than I do if you've got uh, two, two songs in your top five. One other uh, Never Too Much song that we didn't uh, touch on, and this is actually the one that really crystallized it for me that I that I was going to get more into the unrequited love songs was You Stopped Loving Me, which I think is one of the first uh, We're Not In Love and I Wish We Were uh, songs uh, on that album that I listened to. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm feeling this more for some reason. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, coming, you know, listening to these, I, I, pr- I try and listen to all these albums for the show, like, you know, at least a half dozen times. And I did with all of these manage to find something a little different each time you know mm-hmm. i think there is a lot to dig into surprisingly you know for all these yeah. different love songs uh so which one was your favorite album uh narrowly i think and and if i listen to the albums again i might have a different number one but i'll go with forever for always for love okay yeah that's a good one uh, that uh, my from you kind of predicted it but never too much is my favorite i think never too much is my number six <laughs> that's a, a classic aaron andy dynamic <laughs> but again they're very consistent right like a very yeah. very similar vibe very very similar consistency in terms of the quality from all of them so if i listen to all six of them again i guarantee you i would have a different ranking i don't know what the ranking would be or how close it is to what i've got right now but mm-hmm. they, they would shuffle around 
Uh, forever for always for love is definitely my second favorite i think that yeah those two are definitely my two favorites but never too much edged it out just a little bit i think it's just slightly more fun and up-tempo than i think the other ones that's true but, well why why that one then and not busybody because that one's the more up-tempo one for me because that's where the production started to irk me a little ah, bit. gotcha okay not that i disliked it but it was like if i was going to choose between the two i'm going to choose the one that i think sounds better to me yeah but we do have a bonus list that I was uh, sent by Craig Seymour, author of the Luther biography that I wrote or that I read. And uh, so he sent in his top five and his favorite album. So I'll, let me run down. Oh, nice. Now. Uh, it overlaps a little bit with both of ours, which is fun. But uh, these are uh, not numbered, but I'll read them down. As he said, uh, never too much. Any love. Wait for love. Superstar until you come back and make me a believer from Busybody. Oh, make me a believer. That's that's interesting. That one didn't jump out. That one didn't jump out at me too much. Yeah, that's, but it's, it's the others. The I more, the others I totally get. Yeah, the make me believer is like one of the kind of more down tempo ones actually on that album of more up tempo songs. So I think it does yeah. stand out in that way. Uh, and then his favorite album was Busybody. I was gonna say if he's got that one and Superstar, yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that was fun. Uh, thank you uh, to Craig Seymour for sending those in. Uh, you can buy his book wherever you're buying books these days. That's available everywhere. And I definitely recommend it. So online then? (laughs) Online everywhere. (laughs) If you have a local bookstore that's doing online orders, I recommend that. But, uh, you know, wherever you can get it. Yeah, I don't know when y'all are listening to this, but we were recording this right in the middle of everyone is staying at home. So Yeah, it very well could be still (laughs) at this point, but who knows. Uh, Well, next time on the show, we'll be listening to uh, one of Luther's sometimes collaborators, got uh, Shaka Khan coming up next. Uh, mm, I'm very nice. excited to dig in. Uh, so thank you everyone out there listening. Thank you to Luther Vandross for making one, some of the greatest love songs of all time. Thank you to Craig Seymour for both writing the definitive biography and being kind enough to send me your favorite songs and album. And thank you to Aaron for joining me. Thank you. So until next time, don't forget, it's never too late to discover great music that's new to you. I'll see you next time. Show notes for this episode and every episode are available at actin.wordpress.com. That's actn.wordpress.com. I have a special post on there for this episode where I ranked every single song from these six albums that has love in the title. There were 16 of them. So head over there and check out my definitive ranking of every 80s Luther love song. Thanks again to everyone out there listening. You can follow me on Twitter at AndyHearsIt. We also have a Facebook page now at facebook.com slash AndyHearsIt. Go ahead and follow Craig Seymour on Twitter as well, at Craig's Pop Life. Whenever you get the chance, leave a review, rate the show wherever you're listening to it, and tell your friends to check it out as well. You can also email me at andyhearsthe80s at gmail.com. Let me know what your favorite Luther songs or albums are, and which albums I need to hear next. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>